0: listeners and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. Before we get to our story, I would like to talk about the importance of sharing our podcast with friends and family. Word of mouth is one of the fastest ways our podcasts can grow. Show them how to add our podcast on their phone or their favorite listening device. And now let's throw another log on the fire campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us, as always, is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss, who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Akron Beacon Journal.
1: Hi, everybody. We don't know where Tecumseh is buried. We don't know for sure who fired the shot that killed him. And as with any person who rises to the status of legend, there are always questions and myths to sort through. The one truth we can state with certainty is that the Ohio-born Shawnee chief became one of the most widely admired indigenous leaders in history. Although he spent a lifetime fighting American expansion and trying to preserve Native American ways, he was respected even by the soldiers who fought him. You may even recall one of the greatest of the Civil War generals, William Tecumseh Sherman, was named for him. So it's more than time that we take a look at the life of the remarkable Tecumseh. Tecumseh's birth in Ohio was cause for celebration Not because of him specifically, but because his family's mere presence in Ohio marked his tribe's long-awaited return to their ancestral home. You see, way back in the 1600s, during something called the Beaver Wars, the Iroquois had driven the Shawnee out of the Ohio country. Many of them went as far as Florida, but around 1760, so that's well over a century after the Shawnee had scattered to the winds, Tecumseh's parents were among many who returned to Ohio to reunite. That didn't mean the red carpet was rolled out for them. They had to fight for what they wanted because by now the British had moved in and claimed the Ohio country as their own. Tecumseh's dad a Shawnee war chief named Pukka took part in battles to hold the British at bay. Following that violent return to Ohio, there were a few years of peace, and that's when Tecumseh was born. He was the fifth of eight siblings, all boys but one, and he joined the world around 1768 near the modern-day city of Chillicothe. Pukashinway and his wife, Methawaitoski, chose for their new son a name that meant shooting star. Now the peace of Tecumseh's youth was short-lived. The year he was born, the Iroquois signed a treaty with the British that gave them land south of the Ohio River, present-day Kentucky. But this land was the Shawnee hunting grounds, and they fought back. In 1774, when Tecumseh was about six years old, his dad fought in the Battle of Point Pleasant trying to regain what the Iroquois had given away. Pukashinway was killed, and the Shawnee gave up trying to retake northern Kentucky. Two years later, the Declaration of Independence was signed and the young United States had already begun its revolution against Great Britain's control of the colonies. War can make for some strange bedfellows. When the Americans in that young, upstart country started fighting for control of Ohio, the British and the Shawnee had something in common. They didn't want them there. So many of the Shawnee allied themselves with the British and fought against the Americans. It was a losing battle. When things got hot in Chillicothe, Tecumseh's family moved west to present-day Springfield, Ohio. Then American General George Clark arrived and pushed them out of there, so they went north, up the Great Miami River. A couple of years later, when General Clark found them again, they had to retreat further north to present-day Bell Fountain. Tecumseh's entire childhood could be traced by following Shawnee villages that had been burned to the ground. When the American Revolution ended in 1783, the United States claimed the Ohio country. The Indians that still lived in the area had other ideas. That summer, they convened a great intertribal conference in present-day Fremont, up in Sandusky County. Fifteen-year-old Tecumseh attended this gathering and was very excited about a doctrine that had been put forth. The conference declared that all Indian lands, regardless of what tribe lived on them, should be held in common by all tribes, and so no tribe should cede any land to the U.S. unless all the tribes consented. Well, the Americans, of course, ignored this and continued to deal with tribes individually, getting each age- to sign separate land treaties. They kept piecing away Ohio. When Tecumseh was 18, he came under the tutelage of his older brother, Chisikau, a war chief. Together, their band of Shawnee warriors carried out attacks on flatboats that were bringing immigrants and traders down the Ohio River, into those lands the Shawnee had been forced out of. But it was a period that also taught Tecumseh something about his own humanity. During one attack, his band stopped some flatboats and killed everyone but one prisoner. That man they burned to death. Tecumseh watched in horror, silent because of his young age. But after it was over... He found his voice. He admonished his older tribesmen with such convincing passion, they agreed never to burn another prisoner again. And so Tecumseh, the young warrior, was defined by two overriding traits. Having been forced to move repeatedly as the Americans overtook every village he had lived in, he vowed to find a way to unite all tribes into a force that would stop the new country's westward expansion. But he also developed a lifelong aversion to torture and cruelty, something for which he would one day be celebrated. In 1788, Tecumseh's family moved to Missouri and then Tennessee trying to find land that wasn't beset with American settlers. But the white people were moving in everywhere. Tecumseh participated in more raids against them. During one skirmish at a fort near Nashville, his beloved big brother, Chisikau, was killed. After three years away, Tecumseh returned to the land of his birth to take part in the Northwest Indian War. The Shawnee Chief Blue Jacket had formed a confederacy of tribes in the Great Lakes area to push back against the Americans. Tecumseh was even made a minor leader, put in charge of a band of eight warriors, including his younger brother, Tenskwatawa. The armed conflict lasted a decade. It ended soon after Blue Jacket's forces lost at the Battle of Fallen Timbers near Toledo. Tecumseh was there. It was a bitter defeat, and the Indian Confederacy fell apart. Blue Jacket made peace with the Americans by signing the Treaty of Greenville, which gave most of Ohio to the United States. Tecumseh refused to attend the signing of that treaty. Tecumseh's followers had grown into a band of 250 people with about 50 warriors. He became their chief. His sister, Tecumapes, sensible, kind-hearted, and very influential for a woman, served as the group's principal female chief. Tecumseh's only sister was one of his favorite people. By 1798, Tecumseh settled his people along the White River near present-day Anderson, Indiana. For the first time, they were able to call a place home for a full eight years. Now, historically speaking, something very significant happened there. Native Americans were dealing with a lot. Not just the loss of their land, but illness, alcoholism, poverty, and the decline of their way of life as they adopted white customs. It was here that Tecumseh's younger brother, Tenskwatawa finally found his purpose. Until now, poor Tenskwatawa had been seen as mostly a misfit with little potential, but he became a healer, and more importantly, a very influential voice, as he urged people to reject European influences, including alcohol. He told them to only wear Native clothes and eat only Native food. As he preached, his position in the tribe grew. He became a prophet, and that's what history would come to call him, the prophet. In 1803, Ohio became a state, and Fort Greenville where the Treaty of Greenville had been signed, giving most of Ohio to the United States, was now in ruins. And that's where Tecumseh and his little brother, the Prophet, headed in 1806 to try and gain converts to their way of thinking. They established a small village near there, and the Prophet began preaching about unity and a return to Native ways. He described dreams he was having, and announced supernatural premonitions. One account said he correctly predicted an eclipse. Among those who came to listen and join their movement was the famous Shawnee Chief Blue Jacket and the Wyandotte Chief Roundhead. Not surprisingly, the more the prophet's image grew, the more opposition he faced. First with tribal chiefs, who had supported the peace treaty. They warned their people that the Indians still had Northwest Ohio and it would secure their place there and ease the fears of their white neighbors if they acted and looked a little less Indian and a little more white. And of course, the American settlers themselves were, well, unsettled. The treaty had removed the Indians from Greenville, and now they were back in a village that had grown to about 400 inhabitants. Tecumseh and Blue Jacket traveled to the state capital, which at the time was in Chillicothe, to try and allay those concerns. They reassured the governor they posed no threat. Unfortunately, the timing couldn't have been worse. The U.S. appeared on the verge of another war with Great Britain, and tensions were rising. Ohio officials repeatedly reminded Tecumseh and the Prophet that they were on the wrong side of the border that had been drawn out in the Treaty of Greenville. To make matters worse, a white man was killed some miles out of Greenville in a random fight with an unknown Indian. But it was enough for people to turn their eyes warily toward that new native settlement. Ultimately, Tecumseh and the Prophet led their followers west again. This time, they settled near present-day Lafayette, Indiana, an established prophet's town. Natives from far and wide came to live in a community that was unprecedented in its diversity, There were Shawnees, Kickapoos, Winnebagoes, Ottawas, Wyandots, Iowas, and more. 6,000 people in all. It was larger than any American city in the region. It seemed Tecumseh and the Prophet were satisfied that they had found a way to have a peaceful coexistence with young America. Well, if you know your history, you know this can't possibly last. In 1809, Ohio-born William Henry Harrison, our future president, but at the moment governor of the Indiana Territory, negotiated the Treaty of Fort Wayne. The U.S. purchased 3 million acres of land in Indiana and Illinois from an assortment of various Indian leaders. No one was as outraged by this as Tecumseh. He still held to that doctrine that land owned by any tribe belonged to all Indians. And even if the sale was done willingly, he saw it as a declaration of war. It should be noted that up until this point, Tecumseh wasn't well known to outsiders. Frankly, the whites who knew him at all just thought of him as the prophet's brother. But Everyone was about to learn his name as Tecumseh began to build a great intertribal confederacy to fight against the U.S. expansion. Hey, fellow true crime aficionados. I've stumbled upon the ultimate hidden gem, Dakota Spotlight by James Wolner. It's a revelation. Picture this. Thoroughly researched, original, and peppered with real interviews No sensationalism here Just gripping storytelling with heart You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll always want more So cozy up and join me on the edge of your seat Trust me, this podcast is the real deal Start with the Mandan murders and prepare to be hooked Let's uncover this treasure together Listen to Dakota Spotlight In August of 1810 Tecumseh met with William Henry Harrison in a standoff that became legendary. Tecumseh demanded the Treaty of Fort Wayne be rescinded and that land be returned to the Indians. Harrison said the land had been purchased fairly. He did agree to send Tecumseh's demands to President James Madison, but warned Tecumseh he was likely to be disappointed in the response. Tecumseh famously told Harrison, if Madison did not rescind the treaty, you and I will have to fight it out. And so Tecumseh got to work. He traveled widely to build his confederacy. He proved to be an amazing orator. He recruited allies from a dozen tribes, from Shawnees as far as Missouri to the Iroquois in New York. He even traveled to Canada to ask the British to help in the coming fight, though the British were reluctant to commit to anything and counseled that they hold steady. The next summer, Tecumseh met Harrison again and told him what he was up to. He said he had amassed a great confederacy of northern tribes and now he was headed south to do the same. And so he did. Tecumseh traveled some 3,000 miles into the south and farther west, adding pledges to his cause. Not everyone jumped on board, but Tecumseh got a boost when the Great Comet of 11 appeared in the sky and the New Madrid earthquake, with a magnitude of 8.2, rattled the central territories. Tecumseh told potential allies, They were omens that favored his confederacy, and many agreed and joined his call to arms. But Tecumseh had made a serious mistake. Remember how he bragged to Harrison and warned him that he was headed south to grow the confederacy? Well, Harrison didn't need spies to know that meant Tecumseh was no longer in Prophetstown. And so Harrison took a thousand men and marched on it. What followed was the Battle of Tippecanoe, and it did not go well for the Indians. The Prophet's warriors were no match for the well-armed Americans, and Prophetstown was evacuated. Harrison's men burned it to the ground. It was a devastating blow to Tecumseh and his young confederacy. It's a bit of a mystery as to what happened to the relationship between Tecumseh and his brother after that. Some contemporary sources said Tecumseh was so furious with him, he threatened to kill him. And from that on, Tecumseh had little to do with him, and the prophet no longer played a role in the confederacy. But other historians say no way that that was a story planted by Harrison's allies, and that while the battle was a big setback for the prophet, he continued to be the Confederacy's spiritual leader, while Big Brother Tecumseh continued as its diplomat and general. In any event, there was a price to be paid for that battle. There was a huge wave of frontier violence in the days that followed, Tecumseh tried to restrain his angry warriors. He preferred they prepare for the big battle that was to come. But the loss at Tippecanoe and the burning of Prophetstown had them set on revenge. They killed as many as 46 Americans in those scattered attacks. Tecumseh's people quickly returned to Prophetstown and rebuilt it. By now, the warriors pledged to him in the Northwest Territory had grown to 3,500, and they were about to get their first assignment. In June of 1812, the United States declared war on Britain, and the War of 1812 was underway. Tecumseh met with the Brits in Canada and offered to merge their causes. The British welcomed them, and they recognized Tecumseh as the commander of a unit that would scout enemy positions, ambush soldiers, and steal mail to provide vital intelligence to the British. As a matter of fact, it was Tecumseh's warriors who inflicted the first American casualties of the war when they skirmished with soldiers trying to invade Canada. Here's a story that reveals a lot about Tecumseh and why he was so admired. After the Americans retreated from Canada and returned across the river to Fort Detroit, the Brits followed them in the hopes of taking the fort. But they needed Tecumseh. British commander Isaac Brock met with the chief, and they formed an immediate friendship. So Tecumseh led about 530 warriors into the siege of Detroit. His men employed a clever, deceptive strategy. He had his warriors pass through an opening in the woods repeatedly. To those inside the fort, it gave the impression that there were thousands of Indians now surrounding the fort. To almost everyone's astonishment, the Americans surrendered Fort Detroit. Soon after this battle, the British commander Brock wrote this He who attracted most of my attention was a Shawnee chief, Tecumseh, brother to the prophet, who for the last two years has carried on, contrary to our advice, an active warfare against the United States. A more sagacious or a more gallant warrior. Does not, I believe, exist. He was the admiration of everyone who conversed with him. Brock became an advocate for the Indians of the Northwest Territory. He encouraged his supervisors to offer them land in any treaty that may come of the war. And after Detroit was captured, the Brits started talking about creating an Indian barrier state between Canada and America. Alas, a few weeks later, Brock was killed in action. In 1813, Tecumseh and his best friend, Chief Roundhead, took about 1,200 warriors to Fort Meigs. That was a new American fort constructed along the Maumee River in present-day Perrysburg. The British had the fort under siege. Tecumseh offered support, and his warriors attacked Americans who tried to leave the fort or come to its aid. But the Americans inside seemed firmly entrenched there. So Tecumseh sent a message hoping to embarrass the American commander, his old nemesis, William Henry Harrison. He wrote, I have with me 800 braves. You have an equal number in your hiding place. Come out with them and give me battle. You talked like a brave when we met before, and I respected you. But now you hide behind your logs and in the earth like a groundhog. Give me your answer. Well, the Americans didn't come out, and eventually the siege was lifted and the U.S. prevailed. But what happened next was a legendary moment in Tecumseh's life. The Indians and the British had managed to take hundreds of American prisoners during the course of that battle. Most of them were soldiers from a Kentucky company that had come up to surprise them. They moved their prisoners to the ruined Fort Miami, and there some of the Native warriors began massacring the prisoners. They killed about a dozen of them before Tecumseh rushed forward and stopped them. Witnesses said Tecumseh then turned his attention to a British commander who hadn't intervened and asked him why he would allow that. The commander said the Indians could not be made to obey. And Tecumseh replied, Be gone. You are unfit to command. Go and put on petticoats. Another witness said Tecumseh also said, I conquer to save. You conquer to kill. Tecumseh and the British would try and take Fort Meigs once more, and this time Tecumseh had 2,500 warriors with him. It would be the largest contingent he would ever lead. It was still not enough. They could not take the fort. As a matter of fact, the British had just lost control of Lake Erie in a naval battle with the Americans, and they decided to pull back from the Detroit and Toledo areas altogether. Tecumseh pleaded with them to stay and fight. He said, Our lives are in the hands of the Great Spirit. We are determined to defend our lands. And if it is his will, we wish to leave our bones upon them. As the British turned to retreat, they told Tecumseh they would make one last stand at Chatham, Ontario about 70 miles from Detroit, along the Thames River. Tecumseh and his warriors said they would meet them there. William Henry Harrison's army followed in pursuit. It was a complete mess. Tecumseh and his warriors got to Chatham, but found out the British had retreated even further upriver, near Moravian Town. Tecumseh was angry at this change of plans, but used his warriors to try and slow the American advance. Tecumseh was wounded in the arm. Then they continued further themselves, trying to reunite with the British. But many of Tecumseh's men thought it was futile, and they deserted. He was down to 500 warriors when the Battle of the Thames commenced on October 5, 1813. The Indians were positioned on the right, hoping to flank the Americans. The British were on the left, but they collapsed almost immediately and fled the battlefield. And so American Colonel Richard Mentor Johnson led the charge against the few warriors that remained. Tecumseh was killed. He was about 45 years old. After the battle, American soldiers stripped and scalped him and peeled off pieces of his skin to take his souvenirs. His death was also the death of the intertribal Confederacy. For the most part, his followers never fought again. So two mysteries associated with Tecumseh's death are the questions of who killed him and where is he buried. Some say he was buried on the Ontario battlefield where he died. Others say his warriors carried him to Sandwich, an old Canadian town across the river from Detroit, and buried him there in an unmarked grave. And there's also a memorial for him on Walpole Island, 80 miles from the Michigan border, where bones were buried during a ceremony in 1941, though we know those bones weren't really his. As to who shot him, we do know that Colonel Richard Mentor Johnson, who led that charge, tried to take the credit for pulling the trigger. In 1837, Johnson became Vice President of the United States under Martin Van Buren and much of his success was due to a campaign that promoted him as Tecumseh's killer. His supporters even developed a snappy slogan, "Rumsey dumpsy Rumpsey dumpsy Colonel Johnson killed Tecumseh. He might have, but others also stepped forward to claim the same thing. To the credit of the British, they did make something of an attempt to honor their promise to Tecumseh. In the negotiations that ended the War of 1812, they tried insisting on the creation of a Native American barrier state in the Northwest. When the Americans refused to even discuss it, the matter was dropped. By the end of the 1830s, the few Shawnee that remained in Northwest Ohio were compelled to sign treaties and move west of the Mississippi River. Now, I haven't said a lot about Tecumseh's private life, so let me try and wind that up here. Some accounts say he may have had a daughter with a Cherokee woman he lived with during his time in Tennessee. But the couple didn't stay together, and the child remained with her mother. After he became chief of his own tribe, he took a wife and had a son. But their marriage also didn't last, and Tecumseh raised the boy. I guess I didn't realize informal divorce was a thing with Indians, but apparently it was because Tecumseh married again. It didn't last. And then he married a third time to a woman named White Wing. That marriage lasted the longest, but not until his death. It ended in 1807. If you want to learn more about Tecumseh, consider a trip to the Sugarloaf Mountain Amphitheater in Tecumseh's hometown of Chillicothe they've been doing an outdoor drama called Tecumseh! Exclamation point, for more than 50 years. This year's season runs June the 16th through September the 4th. I have never been, but apparently the huge outdoor stage features everything from a herd of galloping horses to live military cannon. You can learn more about it at TecumsehDrama.com.
0: That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this in every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. Also, Ohio Mysteries is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Head on to evergreenpodcast.com for more information. If you would like to support our podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash Mysteries and consider becoming a patron. We appreciate all of our supporters.
1: On a hot summer night in 1988, Jane Borosky was stabbed 27 times by an unknown man. She was seven months pregnant. My name is Jane Borosky. I survived, and I remember everything. Jane is the lone survivor of a serial killer. I'm your host, Jennifer O'Mell, and this is Dark Valley. Join us in our search for America's unknown serial killer. Subscribe to Dark Valley. Out now.